0: So while you're turning to Matthew chapter 6, um, I always tell things about me because I like talking about me. Uh, so I grew up, and m- most of you know this, but I grew up in the house, in a house with a psychologist. <laughs> Big shock, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so when you grow up in a house with a psychologist for a mom, you, you often feel like you're being analyzed. And many times it's not even all that secret. Many times it's like, I need to test some theories. Will you come into class this week? <laughs> right? So like, so like, we'd come in and she'd be like, this was like when we were way too old for this. But she's trying to show how, how well we've developed. Hey, which of these two sticks is longer? And then we'd show them and all the class would go, ooh, and take down notes. Or, or don't like, I'm not even going to get into when she was studying spit. Like, there was, there was a period of time where my mom studied saliva, and you can imagine how much of ours she borrowed. She never gave that back for some reason. There's, some the There's probably some in our freezer at the house, so if you need some of my, like, 12-year-old saliva, she's probably got it somewhere. Um, so, but, here's, one of the, one of the um, tests that you do when you're trying to see how kids are developing and stuff like this... Uh, Ellie got to do this like a year ago or so now. It's, it's been a little bit. Um, and you've probably seen videos of this online uh, where they take a kid and they sit them at a table and they put a plate in front of them with one giant marshmallow. And they say, you can have that marshmallow. I'm going to leave the room. If you wait to eat that marshmallow until I come back, you can have two marshmallows. So it's up to you. One marshmallow now or two marshmallows when I come back. And if you watch the video, it's like, we, like, like Ellie, when she did this, she like picked it up and started talking to the marshmallow. She was like having a conversation about, about when she's going to get to eat the marshmallow. She smelled the marshmallow a little bit. She might have even, she, she might have pulled up just the, te- the teeniest of little tastes to make sure the marshmallow was worth waiting for. And, and so she's in there and we're watching and this is just, fantastic, hilarious. We're loving it. Um, they come in and say, she's almost done. She's doing great, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, then, and then they open the door and she, you know, jumps, puts the marshmallow back down. She's like, I didn't eat the marshmallow. I'm like, good job. You get a second one. And she got to eat two marshmallows. I was shocked. I thought immediately that marshmallow is going to be gone. Like the moment they close the door, she's eating the marshmallow, but she didn't. And what they're testing, okay, okay, here we go. For those of you who aren't psychologists you, or parents of people who've for parents who've tested this before. What are they checking to see if the kid is able to do in that experiment? Delay gratification. delay gratification. I'm so proud of you. Right. They're trying to delay gratification. They're trying to say, it is worth more to me to not have something now because if I can wait, if I can be patient, if I can delay that, I can have something even better later exactly what Jesus is talking about this morning in Matthew chapter 6. He is talking about delayed gratification. So we're going to test, because he, 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 wants, he wants his disciples to also be patient and willing to wait for the, the goodness that he wants to shower upon us later on. Like, not now. Like, like, you might hear a lot of people say, you know, love God, serve God, obey God, you're going to get everything you want now. You're going to get all of these riches, you're going to be healthy, you're going to be happy, and all of this is going to come to you, and you're going to be super satisfied. And what Jesus is trying to say is, that's not what I want my people to be defined by. I don't want them to be defined by. I'm trying to build up all of this for myself right now. I'm trying to wait. I'm going to delay my gratification till the time that Jesus says, I'll get what I truly need, what I truly want, what is truly amazing. So go ahead, turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to finish up the chapter today. Uh, but I'm just going to read a a section of it right now. We're going to start in verse 19. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. He says, "...do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body." So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So the first thing that I want us to look at is that wealth, is not reflective of our spiritual state. So, so whether you have lots or whether you have little does not, is not reflective of how well God loves you. Because that's what, that's what some people, especially in this culture, were thinking. The better I obey, the better God's going to bless me. That's still something that people are teaching today. The more you behave, the better faith you have, the more, the more love for God that you show, the better you attend church, the better you do all of these things that would be pleasing to God the more he's going to shower you with riches and make you feel comfortable and healthy and wealthy and all of these sorts of things. And we've talked a lot about how that is an incorrect assumption. Because because I think all of us can agree, Jesus is probably the, the best example of somebody whose heart was exactly where God's was, desired exactly the will of God, was willing to do whatever God called him to do, including die on the cross for us. And at the same time, he did not have much. He lived a very humble life. He wasn't wasn't wealthy. He he could have come as a king, right? We've talked about this. He could have come as a king, but instead he chose to come humbly and he chose to not have much and he chose to to live uh, with very little means and just to kind of get by day by day. So the, the best example we have in Jesus did not result in him being showered with riches by God. Um, In fact, uh, the idea of building up wealth for one's own sake, like the idea of I'm going to save up lots of money just for me to make sure that I, that I, I am safe and secure and happy and I have all the things that I need is actually a bit deceptive because we might be convincing ourselves, oh, see, God's taking care of me, God's blessing me, so I'm in a great place right now. God must really be happy with me. But but if our wealth isn't connected at all to how well we're obeying God, then all we're doing, if we're building up stuff for ourselves, if we're saving up all these treasures on earth that he's talking about, if we're we're trying to have lots now, we might be giving ourselves this false sense of security that we're in a good place with God. And the truth of the matter may be, we don't even know him. We don't even love him. We're 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 not actually a believer. We're not one of his followers and we're basing, we're, basing, we're basing whether or not we get to spend eternity with God based on how much we have on earth. And we might lull ourselves into a false sense of security. We might make ourselves uh, a bit too comfortable because we think, oh, I've got all this, so I must be in good shape. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah uh, in the Old Testament kind of saw through this. He saw that it wasn't required that you, that you get rich because you obey God. Because he said in Jeremiah chapter 12, this is, this is verse 1, he said, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. So he's like, I have a thing that I need to ask you about. I don't understand. He says, Why, do the way, why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? So what he's saying is, I see all of these evil people, and it's the evil people who are having all of this wealth. It's the evil people who are building up all of these treasures for themselves. It's the people who don't serve you who are the most comfortable here on earth. So, so it would be foolish, it would be ridiculous of us as the church, as society, to assume that, oh, I'm in good standing with God just because I have stuff, just because I'm comfortable, just because I have all of these things. So the first thing that we need to, fig- we need to understand is that, that wealth is not reflective of our spiritual state. We can't base our standing with God solely on our ability to acquire things for now. The next point that Jesus wants to make is that the things of this world, the things that we could save up for now, the, the wealth or the stuff or the, all of that, is temporary. None of it is going to last. He uses these, this example of where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Let's look at what all of those examples are really talking about. I, you know, we started reading um, The line the Witch, in the Wardrobe with Ellie last week. And at the, very big, the very first chapter, they find the ward, this wardrobe, and, they, and she's like, and it just smelled of mothballs. And you hear this word mothballs. I have never actually seen a mothball. I have never actually... Like, like, I know, I understand the concept of a mothball... But i like I'm. Th- it's like I, you know, I've never actually seen a mothball in use. Like it's a. I think it's a mythical creature that we've developed. I don't. I don't know. Maybe I'm just not cultured enough to know what a mothball actually looks like. But the idea, that, But in the story, it's like you put the mothballs in the coats so the moths won't want to come eat your clothes, your your expensive clothes or your nice clothes or. Or whatever. And, and what Jesus is trying to point out is even the nicest clothes that you can buy can be absolutely decimated by like the simplest, smallest, tamest of creatures. Right? Like, like I don't know if you've ever gotten a fight with a moth, but you'd probably win. Like, like, I mean, I've seen people try to get in fights with moths when they're like flapping, doing this whole thing. Right? But, but a moth is a very unassuming creature. It's not like he's saying it can be destroyed by lions. That would make sense, things being destroyed by lions, but to be destroyed by a moth, like this tiny little bug with these little fragile wings, is able to destroy all of your clothing, all of your, all of your expensive clothing. And he says where, where rust can decay, uh, it's more than just like rust on metal, like the word there that he's using is something that can be referred to as like a consuming destroyer of many things. It could be, it could be metal, but it could be your crops as well. Like it could just be like disease that kind of spreads through your harvest. And he says where thieves would break in and steal. And and thieves being the people who would break in and take your stuff for their own gain. We're not talking like Robin Hood here where it's like, I'm taking stuff to give to somebody else. He's like, I'm just taking this for me. I want that. You have it, I'm taking it. And what Jesus is pointing out with all of these examples is that all of our basic needs, right? Food, clothing, our stuff, these things that we would hold on to, all of those things you can have right now, but they could very easily be taken away from you. So, so why would you define yourself by building up a treasury of those things? Why would you devote your life to having more and more stuff when as easily as you could acquire it, it could be so easily taken away? Right? You don't get to keep that forever. It's just going to go away. So Jesus is saying that, essentially, all of creation continues to fight against our acquiring things. So if we're devoting ourselves to acquiring things, making ourselves feel safe, making ourselves feel secure now because we have what we think we need, the world is going to continually be fighting against that, and we are going to continually find ourselves fighting to get more stuff. And it's going to become this vicious cycle where we're, we're so locked in on protecting our own interests and protecting our own, you know, safety and security and wealth that we're not going to accomplish anything with our lives. So he we, so we kind of contrasts that, storing up treasures on earth with storing up treasures in heaven. He says where these things won't destroy, where, where these things will be permanent, where you don't have to worry about losing them. If you can just wait until, until I give you the things that I want you to have, you won't have to worry about those things going away. But it's less about us getting things. It's less about us having stuff. And it's more about a contrast in values. Like a, I'm driven by my need for things, or I'm driven by my need for God. And so what he's basically saying is wherever you place your, your highest value, is your highest value making sure that you have things, or is your highest value making sure that you have God, your heavenly Father? And, and what, what you place your value in is reflective of where your heart is. Like we keep coming back to this idea. It's about our heart. It's not about whether or not we have stuff. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to say you shouldn't have things. I'm not trying to say you shouldn't have food, you shouldn't have clothes. What I'm trying to say is your heart should want God and you should trust that he's going to take care of the rest of that, which we'll get to in just a minute. So Jesus uses this example, just kind of reflecting on this idea of he's after our hearts. It's what what are you looking for? And he uses this this example of your eyes. He's like, if you have good eyes or bad eyes. And it's, it's kind of a weird example when you read it, it's like, If your eyes are good, then you're filled with light. And if your eyes are bad, then you're filled with darkness. What is he trying to say here? What is it that he's trying to talk about? If you have good eyes, then he's saying your eyes are looking after the things that God wants you to have. You're looking to God. You're looking to the church. You're looking to minister to others. You're looking to... do all of these acts of righteousness, right, that Jesus has been talking about through this whole chapter. He's been talking about giving, and he's been talking about prayer, and he's been talking about fasting. All of these things, he's saying, if your eyes are good, then your eyes are after the things that God wants you to be after. You don't have this wandering eye that's, that's looking after things that God wouldn't really intend for you to be driven after. You're not, like, actively pursuing the things that God would not want you to have. An evil eye, like a bad eye that he's talking about, like wanders and covets other things that aren't the things that God would want us to have. So you have to ask yourself, what are my eyes drawn to? What is it that I'm looking at? What is it that has my attention? What is it that I spend most of my time thinking about or pursuing? Is it the things that God would want me to have now that that might leave me with less right now because I'm not after all of the things that I could use to acquire things for myself now, stuff for me now? What is it that you're after? Because here's the thing, you're either after one or the other. And that's what he says in verse 24. Right? Verse 24, I'll read it again. No one can serve two masters. Now when he says serve, when he's talking about this idea of serving, it's not like I volunteer my time to work for this guy. It's more the idea of slavery. I am a slave to this master and the difference between being a servant or a volunteer or a worker and a slave is drastically different. It's the difference between I can kind of spend some time working for this guy and I can spend some time. If you are a slave, you are forever connected to that master. I don't separate myself. I don't, I don't have off time. I am connected to that. I, I am in it completely. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. There's no halfway between what I'm talking about here. You can't halfway be trying to get some stuff for yourself and halfway trying to serve God and love God and chase after him and want the things that he wants. You're all in on one or the other. There is no in between. There's no halfway there. There's no 50-50 like you think, you, you might try to convince yourself, oh, I kind of got this and I kind of got this and I'm kind of okay with both. That's not really an option is what he's saying here. You can't serve God and money. Now, in some translations, you'll see the word mammon. Uh, I think it's NIV uses it. Like you can't serve God and mammon, which is like a, a name that's kind of, it, it's, it's, the, it's the concept of a, of a false God. He's saying you can't serve God or this other God, this fake God, this false God. He's kind of personifying Chasing after money as this opposing God that you're chasing after, you're worshiping, you're giving your life to completely. And he's saying you can't have it both ways. You're either all in on chasing after God or you're all in on chasing after yourself, your life, the things that you want. And we, if we are believers, if we are truly seeking after God, are supposed to be all in. You hear us say this all the time. We want you to be all in. There's none of this, you know, kind of, Sticking a toe in the water just to kind of check out feels. You either, you either jump in completely. Completely immerse yourself in the life of the church. Completely buy into the things that God would have the church do. Or you're on the outside. Like, like there's no halfway. you got to get in. And we want you to get in. Because we want you to see that ultimately what you get when you, when you jump all in, even though it may mean that you don't have as much now, even though it may mean that you're delaying your gratification... But what you're going to get when you you get in is so much better, so much more satisfying, so so much more valuable than anything that you could have now that could just be taken away from you on a whim. So let's go ahead and keep reading. We're going to go ahead and read the end of the chapter. We'll pick it up in verse 25. Because here's the thing. Because here's the thing. He's asking you to not chase after stuff. He's asking you not to chase after you know, material wealth or even like security of having enough, right? He's saying, I don't want you chasing after money. I want you chasing after me. And that might lead you to think, well, if I'm not chasing after money, how do I know that I'm going to have enough to survive? How do I know that I'm going to have enough food to live tomorrow? How do I know that I'm going to have enough clothes so that I have something to wear? Right? That's the natural question to be asking. If God's saying, don't chase after stuff, you're going to be like, well, then how am I going to survive if I'm not supposed to? You know, be driven by acquiring that kind of thing, protecting myself, right? So he has an answer in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for, t- sufficient for the day is its own troubles. So his answer when he's saying is, because when, when his people would naturally be asking, wouldn't seeking to have less mean that I wouldn't have enough? I mean, I mean there, are, there are lots of really, really wise money guys that are, that are believers that would still say, you need to save up this much, you need to have this much in the bank. You need to be prepared for this rainy day thing. What if this comes up? You need to have this prepared. And what Jesus is saying is, if you're storing up all of those things to protect yourself for the what if, who is your faith in? Your ability to protect yourself or, your, or, or God's ability to protect you. Don't, don't worry about those things. Um, and, and, and not to say that the idea of worry Is always bad. Because sometimes worry can mean like concern for things that are important, like somebody else's welfare. Or or being concerned that, that, that God is receiving the glory that he deserves. These are things worth worrying about. God, I want to make sure that the people of this city, the people of this neighborhood know you, right? It's worth being concerned for those things. But what he's saying is Don't don't be so anxious. Don't have this paralyzing anxiety in your life that prevents you from pursuing God, that prevents you from continuing to be obedient to Him. Because we have to remember that ultimately it's God who provides everything to us anyways. Whether we're spending all of our time fighting to get stuff or not, we get it because God lets us have it, no matter what. Philippians chapter 4 says this in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So he's saying, you know that you don't have to worry because all you have to do is ask God. God, is this something that you would have for me? Just like we talked about when we were talking about prayer a couple of weeks ago, he said, just ask for the things that you need today and trust that I'll provide those things for you. Don't be driven by this I need this X, Y, Z thing, uh, and I understand better what I need than you do, God. He's saying, don't worry, because God's going to provide for you exactly what you need. And so God and, and Jesus uses this example to kind of lead to an obvious answer. right? He says, so, so think, about, think about clothes. You need clothes for your body, but, but what's more important, clothes or your actual body? What's more important food or being alive he's like kind of working his way up through these examples and he's saying he's kind of setting up this obvious answer right he's setting up this of course my life and my body are far more important than food and clothes like like i i I, food and clothes do me no good if i'm not alive food and clothes do me no good if i have no body And so the question he's asking is, would God give you these things? Would God give you life if he didn't intend to sustain it? Would God give you breath if he did not intend to continue to provide it to you? And that's a hard question to like, fully answer with yes. Because, because once you get there, you're like, So you're saying I shouldn't worry about having enough saved up in case something goes wrong. Or I shouldn't do this, or I shouldn't be driven by making sure that I'm protected. He's saying, like, like, don't wrap yourself up in bubble wrap. Because if you get all wrapped up in bubble wrap, you're not going to be able to do anything. You might not get hurt, but what are you going to be able to do if you're all wedged into this big like cylinder of bubble wrap? Nothing. You've protected yourself. Sure, you're not going to get hurt. But what are you going to accomplish? Worrying about what could happen. This is a radical challenge that Jesus is calling us to. This is a, a radical lifestyle. One that, one that doesn't make sense. One that, one that fights against everything, especially for those of us who grew up in America, that we've been told our whole lives, right? Right? Pursue the American dream. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps. I'm out of colloquialisms. But those kinds of things. Like, like, make yourself something. Do what you can so you can have as much as you can. You can only have as much as you're going to put your effort into, right? These sorts of things. So to, to get in the face of that and say... Don't define yourself by your pursuit of stuff. Define yourself by your pursuit of God and let your life reflect your faith in Him to continue to provide and sustain you. All of those things that we've talked about through this whole chapter, all these acts of righteousness that He's anticipating that believers will perform, all of these are acts that reflect our willingness to trust God to provide for us. Giving to the needy. When he says give to the when he's talking about giving to the needy, he's saying, don't think that you need to hold on to this so that you can have your, your nest egg, your, your protection, your, your security. Be willing to give your security blanket away to somebody else who needs it more than you do, and trust that God is still going to protect you. When you're praying, we talked about praying for your daily bread. Give me what I need, not ju- not what I want right? Provide enough for me to survive today. Provide enough for me to survive the next day. Don't be thinking, I need to make sure I have enough for six months out just in case something goes wrong today. Fasting. I don't need this food now. I need God more than my next meal. That is a crazy way to think. That is a crazy way to live. That is not normal. But that is the kind of life, that is the kind of faith that we are being called to. That's the kind of all-in lifestyle that Jesus wants his people to have. And so he kind of uses this argument uh, from like lesser to greater. So he starts with with like grass and birds. And he says, look at how well God takes care of these. And he says, now look at the most important piece of God's creation, man. Which do you think God is more concerned with sustaining, the grass or you? And the grass is fine. The birds are fine. The birds aren't storing up lots. Like they're going out and finding whatever they're going to eat the next day, the next day. Why are you so worried that you won't have enough tomorrow? I love verse 27. And I'll tell you why, because in verse, let me turn over to it, because in verse 27, he says, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life, right? So there's another way that you can translate those words, and and it makes less sense in the context of what he's talking about, but I think it kind of helps make the point. You could also translate, instead of which of you by being anxious can add a a, a unit of time, like an hour to your life, you could also render that, who can add a cubit to his height? Like, like, who, just by worrying about how short they are, can make themselves taller? Right? That's, I, see some, I see people shaking heads. Like, I know, man. I'm there. Does it work? Worrying, like, I want to be taller. I'm so worried that I'm not going to be tall enough. I'm never going to get to ride that roller coaster. Or whatever it is. He's, it, it sounds ridiculous to freak out about whether or not you're gonna grow anymore, right? That sounds ludicrous. Just as ludicrous as worrying about, I wish I could live longer, I'm worried that I'm gonna live That's how ridiculous it is. The idea of worrying about something that God is gonna provide for you. Something that you can't provide for yourself anyways. You, you think I can take care of myself, but you can't. It is God who continues to sustain you no matter what. And I think it's also so ironic that he's using this example of being clothed, right? Like, like we're so worried about making sure we have something to wear. But how ironic is it that, that prior to the fall, that wouldn't have been a concern for us. It wasn't until we separated ourselves from God through sin that we felt the need to cover ourselves, anyways. So say, so so like this one, this like foundational worry that we have has its root in the fact that we rejected God. that we we broke our communion with Him, that we have this barrier between us in our sin. And so he says in verse 33, this is how he kind of sums up this whole chapter, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Your heart needs to be after God. And we want His righteousness. Back in uh, chapter 5, In verse 20, he was talking about how you get into heaven. And he said, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And we're like, that's a high calling. I can't do that. Exactly. You can't. And this is where he gives us the example. This is where he gives us the answer to how that works. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We can't make ourselves righteous. We can't become good enough to earn God's favor unless He gives us His righteousness, which is what He accomplished when Christ died for us. We get to be righteous because He makes us righteous. Because our heart is after Him, He makes us acceptable to Him. All of these things that he's talking about through all of chapter 6 that we've been talking about for the last month, we can't just manufacture that on our own. Because like I said, it doesn't make sense to just give away what you have. It doesn't make sense to rely on God to provide for you your food for that day. It doesn't make sense to, to go without food and say, I need God more than this. It doesn't make sense not to save up stuff to protect ourselves for now. But if he gives you a heart that seeks him, that wants him, that seeks his righteousness, right? Then all of that falls into place. You don't have to worry about whether or not you're going to make it to tomorrow. I love that he says it. Don't worry about tomorrow. Let tomorrow work. Like, like today's got enough stuff to worry about. Like, don't worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. Don't worry about what's going to happen a week from now, six months from now. Don't worry about where you're going to be. Just trust God for right now. Take, in, take, take a breath. And when you take that breath, realize that God gave it to you. He gave you that breath to continue living with. And He's going to continue to do that. We don't have to worry that He's going to let us, let us just kind of waste away. He's got us. He's supporting us. So let's pray.